0: Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. Wait, I forgot. When well, now we're um, we're sponsored by Ricola. How are we? Uh, and and Halls. Quit your coffin. We don't we don't need your respiratory droplets. Oh, <laughs> so guys, what are we what are we going to talk about today?
1: Well, personally, I've been doing a lot of work lately, research and lecture prep about conductors and so we thought it would be fun to pick a conductor that I came across in my research that uh, has interesting contributions to the history of conducting but also apparently has a little bit of a scandal in his life so we are going to talk about
2: Carl Maria von Weber who actually I did not know nice. was a conductor I knew he was a, a composer of Der Freischütz which I think is probably the most famous thing that he wrote
1: yeah he he is well known in Germany as a composer um we don't really see Der Freischutz performed much here in North America but apparently it's done a lot still in Germany and he's kind of like in a way the originator I think of like romantic German opera even though we often consider Wagner to be like the be-all and end-all of German romantic opera um, von Weber actually came before Wagner, and he was very influential in a lot of things that Wagner like then took up and really expanded upon. And I happen to really like Der Freischutz. I think it is a crazy, crazy opera. Yeah,
2: it's weird.:
0: So can either of you guys tell me about so on this topic of you know, whether Weber was a, a composer or a conductor, I feel like it used to be like way back in the day. That if you're a composer, you probably also conducted. But I feel like that's not the case anymore. When did that like kind of when did that switch happen?
1: I don't know. I feel like it's still the case that there are a lot of composer conductors today. Not every composer is a conductor, and not every conductor is also a composer. But I actually think we have a lot more of that today, and we had a lot more of it in Weber's time. And personally, I think there's, like, a gap in the 20th century where that falls out of fashion. Because if you think of people like Herbert von Carrion, Arturo Toscanini, uh, Wilhelm Furtwängler, Otto Kemplerer, all of these people, like, they were not composers as well, but they are hugely important conductors in the history of conducting. And then once Leonard Bernstein comes on the scene, that's when... That tends to come back the composer conductor hybrid. And if you think of opera like Thomas Addis has conducted a lot of his own operas, uh, John Williams, not sorry, not John Williams, John Adams <laughs> has conducted a lot of his own operas. although
0: I think John Williams has conducted some things, pretty sure. Uh, well,
1: John Williams is definitely I mean, conducted, but uh, I was trying to think of opera examples.
0: Oh, God! I would love to see a John Williams opera. I would be so <laughs> down for that.
1: <laughs> Is he the one who composed the Lord of the Rings?
0: uh, yeah, and Star Wars
1: Well, I knew he composed Star Wars and, but...
0: and the first couple of Harry Potter movies
1: right. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that
0: shoot now i'm now I'm second guessing Lord of the Rings. I feel like it was somebody else who did Lord of the Rings.
2: well, Wait, anyhow. Who who composed the music for Lord of the Rings? Howard Shore. Howard right, Shore, yeah. that's, that's
0: right. I, I should have known that. I'm embarrassed that I did not know that. Thank God that don't Ian be is embarrassed. around. embarrassed. Thank God. God for quarantine.
1: I didn't know either. Anyway, my, my... You know what's
0: interesting. You, you know should I I shouldn't go down this rabbit hole cuz I don't know it really eh. well as well as I should. But I feel like Howard Shore also did some of Lion King, right?
1: Uh, that
2: uh, was Hans
0: Zimmer, wasn't it? No. Oh, Hans Zimmer! Oh my God, that's <laughs> no, so funny.
2: It's
0: <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Well, I mean, it's all of these names: Howard Shore, Hans Zimmer, John Williams. They, I mean, mm-hmm. come on, practically all the same name, right? Right. <laughs>
2: exactly. I'll let okay. you have well, it. Okay. Well, we're going time.
0: down a dark rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of you. It's very charitable. Uh, so, anyways, but so would you say that Weber is more well known as a composer or as a conductor
1: i think these days he's more well known as a composer for like non-musicological circles but i think in musicology he's considered like equally important in both composing and conducting
0: i think interesting okay well we gotta learn some stuff about this guy especially because apparently there's some scandalous stuff about him. I just appreciate that about classical music it's like everybody's got some kind of scandal it's like what what is the deal
1: Everybody has secrets
0: okay so what's what's the deal where do we need to start with this guy
1: so in terms of a little bit about his life story kind of his early days um I think kind of the closest tie that people might know about him in terms of his family life is that he was actually the cousin of Mozart's wife so Mozart married Constanze Weber and one of her cousins was Karl Maria von Weber so that kind of places him in the timeline but he obviously lives past Mozart and he lives into the 1800s so he's a little bit later in terms of both style and like when he was born but he is connected to that family in that way and his nice. family was pretty musical and so like both of his parents i think were um somehow musically inclined and um i think his father
0: or some like to say his father
1: his father yes his his father or fati was a musician he was a violinist and um he was very invested in Carl's uh, musical education and so apparently he like went into raising this child to be a child prodigy and so
0: yes. um,
1: and I think he was <laughs> quite inspired by Mozart in this regard because like you know they had this kind of child prodigy composer linked to the family by marriage so it kind of gave him ideas about what was possible to do with uh, his own little Carl and so he was raised in this kind of musical incubator, so to speak, and he actually went on to become like a really gifted pianist himself. And so he was a pianist, he was a composer, and he was a conductor. And so typically we know him best, Carl Maria von Weber, as a composer, and especially of opera, of German opera. Um, he kind of put into motion a lot of these classical, German-romantic operatic ideas that Wagner would then take up and really expand. And Der Freischutz is his most well-known opera, although he did uh, compose a couple others. And Der Freischutz is a really cool opera. We should do a whole episode just on that. It's kind of like um, the original Deal with the Devil opera. Um, So kind of like before Faust was a big thing, there was Der Freischutz and there's some pretty great music in it. But in terms of his conducting, um, he actually is one of the first people to really try and make the conductor into like an actual thing. And so he really believed that the conductor had a really important role to play and could play an even more important role than what was happening at the time. And so he's one of the first people we don't think he's the first but he's one of one of the first people that really tried to conduct through a lot of physical gesture and so we think that he began conducting with like rolls of paper before the baton was really a thing and so he would actually wave these rolls of paper or beat the roll of paper Um, in a kind of silent motion so it wouldn't actually make any sound in an attempt to keep the ensemble together. And he started doing this in one of his first jobs um, as like a musical director in Breslau. And he was only 18 years old when he got this job. So he was pretty young. And apparently it did not go very well. People did not like his whole ideas (laughs) of like the conductor being Why are you waving that piece
0: of paper at me?
1: It was pretty like wild for the time because this was not the norm. Usually at that time you would have some kind of person in the orchestra, usually the first violinist who was like the Kapellmeister, and he would lead the orchestra through like gesture and kind of moving the neck of the violin and things like that. And so having like a, a person who's actually not playing an instrument, just standing somewhere in front of the ensemble trying to tell them what to do was considered kind of crazy for the time so he started with rolls of paper it didn't really go well uh he was kind of like booted out of Breslau because people just thought his ideas were too crazy and so he actually uh spent a couple years after that touring around as a virtuoso pianist because he was having a hard time getting conducting gigs but then uh, some of his friends saw him guest conduct a performance um of an opera in 1812 in Berlin and they were really impressed by what he was able to achieve with the ensemble and apparently there was one major director or um, general manager of an opera company who observed that Weber accomplished in three rehearsals what would normally take six or seven and a lot of it was because of this style of conducting that he tried to kind of enforce upon the ensemble and so... Eventually, he did adopt the baton. So he like upgraded his rolls of paper and traded them in for a baton. And musicians were still quite resistant. So is
0: he like the? He's the originator of the baton.
1: He's not the originator of the baton, but he is one of the earliest people that we know used it. And uh, well, people,
0: people would before that, like some people would use like a stick, right? Like a, like a like a staff. Didn't isn't that what? Ultimately yeah, led to Luli's would... death. He like stabbed himself yeah. in a foot with a staff that he was like beating for time.
2: Go ahead, Elspeth. You know all Naomi. about Naomi.
0: <laughs> oh, sorry.
2: Oh, Naomi made me watch a horrible movie. <laughs> that this horrible French movie <laughs> that had a dramatization, like a very dramatic dramatization of the moment where Luli stabs himself in the foot.
0: Gosh, um, I l- I love that because I'm sure it was just like, like so not- like anguish like on his face like
2: it's not graphic you don't see it like he's beating time with this staff that has like a little pointy end on it and they're ramping up the tension because the music's playing and he's so into it and the camera keeps cutting to the staff like getting closer and closer (laughs) to his foot and It's very tense, and then it happens, and you just see his head like rolled back in anguish. And then they cut to like him in his room on a bed, and he's just like, No, you can't amputate the leg, not the leg, not my dancer legs. And I'm like, Dude, if you did, you wouldn't have died. But wow. it was very tense, I did not care for it. I was like, Oh, this is horrible. <laughs> I just couldn't it would believe it. Like, I stabbed found his foot, and you,
0: you see a spurt of blood like fly into the air, it like hits the first violence in the face
1: exactly people start fainting it was not that graphic there was no
2: blood there was no blood in this clip you didn't see it go in you just (laughs) saw it getting closer and the tensions ramping up and i was like oh no And it was like a minute and a half of this before
0: yeah it like goes and ladies it
2: was very tense
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that is where the baton was created. They said, Yeah, we just need to do a little tiny stick instead of the biggest No, that is not <laughs> true, people. That is not true. I hope be. that like it's added. Can I go add that to the Wikipedia entry for baton?
2: <laughs> no, please don't. You definitely should.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not Wikipedia, it's sacred. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've taken us way down a tangent. Okay, So, Naomi, so, so
1: was, for all
0: intents and purposes, OG baton user is yes. Weber. <laughs> I know that's not true, but I love... Because <laughs> <laughs> Naomi already said, she was like, yeah, well, he wasn't the first one. <laughs>
1: no, he was not the first I appreciate,
0: one. Yeah, I appreciate the level of integrity, Naomi, that we will not have any inaccuracies. <laughs>
1: I try. I try very hard.
0: <laughs> I know. Just despite my best efforts. But. Okay. Okay. Please please proceed. Okay. My apologies. So,
1: so in a nutshell, Lou Lee was not a conductor as we know them today. He definitely beat time and he was some kind of musical leader, but it was not conventional at that time for a person to like direct an ensemble primarily through gesture it was much more of like a practical thing to keep the ensemble together in these very like spread out spaces. And so it's really Mm -hmm. not until the end of the 1700s where we start to get musical leadership emerging in a more complicated way and kind of uh, coming out of that is the idea of a conductor whose sole job it is to lead the ensemble. And then it's not until Weber really that you have people beginning to accept baton conducting. Uh, Weber and Mendelssohn and Spontini were all very instrumental in getting people to adopt and basically accept the baton. Uh, apparently, Mendelssohn got laughed off stage for his use of the baton in, when he was in England. Oh. So so it was a big deal. and. And there were ensembles that actually like refused to look at Weber, even though he was like trying to get them to look at him and communicate with him and make eye contact. They just like flat out refused because they were so against this whole idea. Um, but before wow, Weber, and now
0: orchestra members get pissed off if you aren't communicative <laughs> as a conductor. Right. I mean, that's like the common complaint is that they don't show enough.
1: Right. But at this time, it was just so radical to have a person be like an authority in front of the ensemble, and and it was interesting because like I guess up until Weber, regardless of whether a person that was leading the ensemble was seen as a conductor or was seen as like a musical leader or a Kapellmeister or the, the capo d'orchestra, orchestra, however you wanted to call them. Primarily musical leadership meant beating time, keeping everybody together, like in the same tempo. But then Weber starts to try and basically, he really wanted to adjust the tempo and he wanted to be the person as a conductor to adjust the tempo. And so he tried to get ensembles to like slow down together or speed up together. And this, again, seems like something that's totally normal for us today. But at the time, it was a big, big deal that an ensemble could like retardando together, right? Or slow down or gradually slow down. And so Weber's. What
0: about dynamics?
1: Same thing, same thing as tempo. Like the idea that you could like get louder or softer together was a novel thing at that time, right? (laughs) And that- So
0: it's like- Middle school band basically, sort
1: of, and even no
0: dynamic adjustments.
1: Well, I mean, there were dynamics in the score, but the idea that like an external person would help you Uh do that or dictate that to you was a big deal. And so, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Weber really believed that the conductor was supposed to be a reference point, and that not only were they important to help guide fluctuations of tempo and dynamics, but also like be a reference for singers in like an operatic situation. And he really felt like the conductor's job was to guide expression of a piece. And this whole idea of like a piece having expression was also something that was not really something that people talked a lot about or really believed that you needed somebody to guide that at this point. And, Because Weber's life, like, overlaps with Beethoven, Beethoven is a big kind of pivotal figure, especially in the idea of, like, music having inherent deep meaning because other people looked at Beethoven's music and they thought, oh my goodness, it has, like, these deep philosophies or, like, coded meaning embedded into the music, like, emotions and expression that the conductor's job was to bring that out in performance, right? Communicate that somehow in performance. So, Weber's a big part of this early attempt to get ensembles to be expressive and get them to be expressive like as a unit with some kind of cohesive vision and guidance. And
0: so he- then when did that like get adopted? When did that become more mainstream or accepted?
1: It's really like between 1800 and 1830, 1840 is when you have this shift happening and it's not happening in just one place. There's kind of a bunch of people that are instrumental in encouraging these kind of shifts to happen over time. And so uh, Hector Berlioz, who we've talked about on Opera After Dark, he was very into conducting. He conducted a lot and he was very ahead of his time. He also believed similar things to Weber that Like the conductor uh, could guide an ensemble in more ways than just beating a tempo. And Mendelssohn was a big part of this shift. Uh, Spontini was a big part of it. Uh, Apparently Giacomo Meyerbeer was very supportive of it. Um, Wagner would become very important in this. So there's a lot of people in this time period, like in the first half of the 1800s, that are encouraging this shift towards a different kind of musical leadership and then you have like the role of the conductor emerging during this time period and so it happens in at different speeds in different countries but um for the most part it's during that particular time and Weber is a big part of of that
0: so I think now it's probably time for us to talk a little bit about a scandal
1: I really want to hear the scandal because I don't know much about
2: Weber's personal life, so I'm curious. Naomi's made him sound so <laughs> distinguished and right, important.
0: revolutionary.
2: Revolutionary in in the history of Western music, so I feel a little bit.
0: And he's just sad. like a dirty hoodlum. Well,
2: uh, <laughs> I mean. Okay, so what happened, what happened was. What had he, happened was. When he was in his very early 20s, um, as Naomi said, he was an incredible pianist. And so he got this gig um, teaching piano to the kids of Duke Ludwig, who was um, the son of the king. Ooh. So it's a pretty big deal, right?
0: Yeah.
2: Um. So while he is there and he is teaching piano, he obviously meets this girl <laughs>
0: um
2: and her name her one of his actual students name not a student of his actually Ooh. Uh, her name Shocker. was Margareth, exactly margaret burn uh Burnburn. um and she was a singer she went and performed under the stage name algebra pre and she was mm-hmm. also known as gretchen apparently she was, <laughs> of course know. she's I gretchen um <laughs>
0: Just make me think of she Gretchen was... Wieners.
2: Right. Uh, <laughs> she was about t- twenty when she became super famous and sort of became the prima donna of the uh, the Stuttgart Opera. So Weber saw her and met her, and mm-hmm. of course immediately became like totally enamored of her. Oh, and a fun fun side fact. Um, so in German, "Fawn" like Carl Maria von Weber. Uh, the fawn is sort of an honorific it's only given to to people of nobility uh titled gentry that kind of stuff did Um, he add his his own fawn his family was definitely not that what they his dad (laughs) like bought it off of like a baron who was in dire straits so like (laughs) nice they were pretending to be far greater than they were but that fawn is not
0: that's uh, like lully didn't lully add a their name
1: Well, he just like Frenchified his name. Oh. Yeah. Because he was Jean Baptiste de Lully. No, he was Jean Baptiste de Lully or something like that. And then he just Frenchified it so that he could fit in at the French
2: court a little bit more easily.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So the favors were a bunch of posers.
2: (laughs) Yes. Um, So Carl starts taking up with Gretchen. And he's super infatuated with her starts spending all this money on her um, finances expensive country excursions for her and like her theatrical colleagues he organized these huge lavish birthday parties for principal members of the opera Uh, so things like that so he was spending um a lot of money Mm -hmm. that he didn't really have and so it got to the point where his finances were getting kind of desperate. And so he kept borrowing money and borrowing money to, to pay his debts, which a lot of people did back then. And to make matters worse, his father, whose name was Franz Anton, um, who also, he he um, went by Baron Baron Franz Anton von Weber. Mm-hmm. Um So his father misappropriated a vast quantity of Duke Ludwig's money. Ooh. So the whole family was kind of like fucked. Oh no! Um, <laughs> no other so way to put what it. What happened? <laughs> right. What happened was in 1808, Carl Maria he took a bunch of money from the ducal funds to cover his debt and his father's debt. Um, I love that. And to, love right, it. Right. And to repay the money that he, you know, quote unquote, borrowed, stole, ah. whatever. <laughs> um, he made it. He made it worse. By obtaining a loan from this innkeeper named Hannes, um, who lent him money because he thought that Weber would be able to procure for his son a court apport- appointment that would exempt him from any kind of military service.
0: Ooh. This so, is like, twisted. Like,
2: there's stuff. many layers to this. Right, right. So he gives him this money in the hopes that he'll get his son some, like, minor court appointment so he will never be conscripted into the army. <laughs> Um, which
0: i'm assuming was no way valid or didn't end right. up happening so you know
2: there was oh, you no. know a war going on and so of course honus's son got conscripted and he died Yikes. um and so his father launched an official complaint and that brought to the light to the world this sort of sale of military exemptions, which Weber got the idea because Duke Ludwig was also kind of doing that on the side to like, make <laughs> his own money. Nice. So Weber was just completing this opera that I don't think ever got performed called Silvana, and he was in the middle of rehearsals at the Stuttgart Opera, and then the police came in, and they arrested him in the name of the king.
1: Ooh. Uh, Classic.
0: And his, so he's got, and, he's got and a rapture.
2: Right, his uh, and his father, the Baron.
0: That's awesome. Um, so
2: there, he was charged with embezzlement, participation, in corrupt draft evasion schemes, and I guess he stole silverware from the Duke because he was also accused of the theft of some royal silverware.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> um,
2: see, wow. I feel like
0: stuff like this should be featured. Like, you go to a concert program... Maybe they're doing a scene from Der Freischutz or something, and there's program notes so you have your little bio about uh Carl Maria von Faber, and it should say in there also was arrested for blah blah blah, blah blah stole some silver like that to it me should. is just so interesting.
2: I so really he goes to um... go
1: ahead, I was just gonna say, I really think that like the reason people don't do that is that there's this trend, especially. In the 20th century, that like all of these composers are absolute geniuses, and therefore, like to reveal their kind of like fragile humanity is somehow degrading to the work. But I think it's interesting to consider that like people can create amazing art and ingenious things, and they can still have incredibly messy and complicated lives, right? So there's like two different perspectives you can look at it, but I agree. I like the the kind of humanizing aspect of of these composers' lives. Yeah,
0: it seems like it's more common than not. Mm-hmm. But what was the deal, Elspeth? So what? So what ended up happening? Did he did he spend? Did he do some time, some hard time?
2: Okay, so he his trial was heard by the king, um, and he actually dismissed the king dismissed all the criminal charges, probably because. Uh, He got Weber to keep his mouth shut about the fact that his son, the Duke, was also like very involved in this uh, draft evasion stuff. Mm. Um, So it went from the criminal court down to uh, a civil court. And since Weber wasn't able to cover his debts, apparently he was out about 2,600 golden. I don't know what that is in today's money. Um, but because he couldn't pay his debts, he was placed under civil rest um, for actually just about a week.
0: Oh. So
2: he was in like self isolation for a week. There you go.
0: Yeah, um, but when it's for a so... week, that's like not even a punishment. That's just like a vacation.
2: <laughs> well, I that's it, true. It depends.
0: So it depends happens...
1: where he's where he's being held. But anyways, go on.
0: What happens
2: is the king releases him from his banishment, and then he um, is banished from the country for how long? Oh, and th- three days after banished. that, um, actually, that I don't know. But three days later, Baber and his father were escorted to the border and basically like evicted. Oh,
0: Whoa. nice! I got booted. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Is that where the scandal ends?
2: That is where the scandal ends. I mean... Cool. Did it, they
0: ever go back into... I guess that... It wasn't... Was it Germany at the time? Or was it... What was the name of the the country?
2: I think it was Germany. Okay. I truly yeah, don't that, know.
0: That portion of my European history is a little bit soft.
1: I mean, he, he didn't yeah, really right. live that long, so... I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't spend much time back in that area because he then went on to, like, conduct his works in other places. And he actually didn't die in Germany. He died in London, I think. So Mm. does anybody want to guess what he died of? syphilis tuberculosis he's got the tb yes tuberculosis
0: yeah
2: nice.
1: <laughs> he's got the black lung yes right yeah he was only 39 years old so he didn't he didn't actually live to be that old yeah no. although but at that time it was like
0: then? decent yeah exactly that's true that's but true. still dude got arrested and banished yep i love that
1: banished
2: for embezzlement
1: and he did he did have an affair in that time right with with like somebody's daughter or the singer
2: well the affair with the singer is sort of what started this whole thing because he was with her and he was like spending all this money ah. on her, gotcha. and her friends and hosting all these parties and stuff like that and that's kind of how he got into trouble in the first place
1: oh, okay okay
0: that's nice
2: yeah that is quite the story
0: well, thank you both i've this is great i feel like you know Like, Naomi sets him up, gives us the historical impact, and then Elspeth Uh, just knocks him down. Like, actually, he was a scoundrel, (laughs) and he stole a bunch of money and screwed some people over.
2: (laughs) He wasn't that great. Well, his dad wasn't that great either, so.
0: Right. What's he going to do? Whole family. Nice. Well, we got to get some music in here. So what, what should we listen to from Carl Maria von Faber?
2: Well, maybe well, we I should.
1: We can listen to some Der Freischutz. I was going to say, we can see if there's anything of Sylvana out there recorded.
0: Oh. <laughs> okay. If we can find it, right. we'll get some Sylvana. If right. not, Der Freischutz. You'll have to listen to it and guess which one. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, thanks again to you both for giving us this great content. And thanks to you all who are tuning in and listening. Uh, We appreciate you spending some of your self-isolation time with us. Uh, If you do have some extra time and wouldn't mind, we'd love it if you could click subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. It'll help you find future episodes. And also perhaps leave a review wherever you're listening to let us know what you think. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find us at operaafterdark.com. Also, patreon.com slash dark if you want to support the podcast.
1: And we'll be back with you in the coming weeks with some new episodes. But until then, I'm Naomi. I'm Elspeth.
0: And I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening.
1: Bye.